The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Heavenly Father, we have gathered this morning because you, you pursued us in love in Christ. And because of that great love that you've given us in Christ, we can respond to you in love and we can respond to one another in love as well. I ask, Lord, that you would bless us this morning with a deeper and clearer understanding of what it means to truly love and serve one another. We readily admit, Father, that our desire is primarily to serve ourselves. We also know, Father, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us compels us and calls us to serve others. And so to that end, Father, I pray that you would be glorified in our church and that you would bless us as a people that show our love for you and our deep, real, practical love for one another. Not just in word, but in deed. I ask, Father, you would show us how you are glorified when we do that. Not only pleased, Father, but glorified when your children exercise a gospel love for one another. So bring yourself glory in that way, Father. Give us that understanding today, but even more so over the next weeks and months and years, compel us in love to serve and to serve well. I ask you to do this, Father, not only to bless us as a church, for we will, we will truly be blessed if we find ourselves serving one another in love, and to bring yourself glory, but I ask it, Lord, that we might be a testimony to the world of what it's like when people gather in the name of Christ and love each other supernaturally by the power of the Spirit. So do that this morning, I pray. Bring yourself glory this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're not in Galatians chapter 5, please, please go there with me. Um, we've been, the last few weeks, we've been looking at certain biblical imperatives, and an imperative is a command that God gives us clearly from his scriptures. And they're imperatives that Jesus actually expects followers to do. I know we live in a time when we think that Christianity is simply professing Christ, getting baptized, and then going to church on Sunday. Um, that would not be New Testament Christianity. Um, we've had a chance over the past few weeks to look at some of the basic imperatives of the New Testament for all Christians. How we're to feed and, and eat and understand God's word. How we are to pray. Seriously pray, individually and as a church. And last Sunday we, we had a chance to look at how we're called to worship. And when we devote ourselves to worship as a church, how we experience God's supernatural awe and unity and joy. This Sunday we're going to turn to the fourth imperative in our six. And it is probably, I think, one of the harder ones for us. Because it calls us to have an outward orientation, a true love and concern for other people which our flesh does not like to do. The title of the sermon is Jesus' Followers Serve One Another. Jesus' Followers Serve One Another. Pastor and author Tim Keller, who is now in the presence of Christ, he used to say, quote, modern freedom is the freedom of self-assertion. Modern freedom is the freedom of self-assertion. I am free if I may do what I want to do. 
Now, if that's true, then I, I would have to argue, if that's a true statement, then I'd have to argue that, that Americans are more free today than we have ever been in any other time, maybe in all of human history, given the fact that we as Americans, we claim to assert ourselves on everything from gender to equality to wearing shorts and hoodies in the United States Senate. What I find fascinating, though, my beloved, as I, as I consider this self-assertion as a definition of freedom, is that the more we assert ourselves, the more we do what we want to do, regardless of the rules or the consequences, the more we seem to struggle and become enslaved with our own addictions. 25% of adults in the United States who use illicit drugs are addicted to drugs. Over 30 million Americans are addicted to alcohol. The use of addiction in porn has skyrocketed. 46 million Americans use pornography regularly. 46 million, my beloved. 30% of Americans say they're addicted to work. 21% of Americans self-identify as sports addicts. Now, I'm sorry, that's really pathetic. To be addicted to sports, and 40%, that's almost half, of all Americans say they are addicted to their smartphones. That's half. Maybe some of you, since we have a few people here, addicted to their smartphones, enslaved to an electronic device. Now, if modern freedom, as Tim Keller describes, leads to addiction and slavery, and we are freedom-loving Americans and Christians, then I think it'd be wise to ask the question, what type of freedom doesn't lead to slavery? Is there such a thing? What freedom, if any, actually, truly sets us free? Well, believe it or not, in his letter to the church in Galatia, Galatia was a, a province in a modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. In Paul's church, to the letter in Galatia, he deals with this exact issue. Freedom that leads to slavery and freedom that leads to real freedom. The Apostle Paul was writing probably 48, 49 AD, probably the earliest of his letters, certainly the earliest to be included in the New Testament. And it is, the book of Galatians is a, it's a masterpiece. It is a beautiful theological treatise on the gospel itself. In fact, it's so beautiful that, that Martin Luther, who was, who was prone to hyperbole, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that the letter to the Galatians was as precious to him as his own wife. I'm sure she didn't appreciate that. But it's understandable. In six chapters, the Apostle Paul establishes the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone for Jew and Gentile. And that's the reason I think that Martin Luther loved it so much. The Apostle Paul was arguing against those Judaizers who had come into a church that was predominantly Gentile. And they said, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you also need to do works. You need to add to faith. And so they were requiring circumcision and other Old Testament regulations. The Apostle Paul clearly refutes any addition to faith for salvation by grace. This is what he writes in chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. And then he writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So by grace, through faith, we're no longer subject 
to the judgment of the law. We're no longer under the curse of the law. By grace through faith, you come, if you come into, if you come to Christ, you come into the family of God as a son or daughter, as a free son or a free daughter in the family of God. And that means legalism, my beloved, you, you doing the law to put God in your debt so he'll let you in. Legalism has no binding power on you. But with all tastes of freedom, and we, we've seen this throughout human history, freedom often will shift from legalism, obey the law so that you can get into heaven, to the other extreme, which is called licentiousness. And that is, I'm going to be saved by cheap grace without any obedience of any kind. Paul deals with that here in Galatians chapter 5. He teaches to true freedom. Freedom from legalism, freedom from licentiousness, real freedom to live freely as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as a, as a Western Christian, if you know Christ here in the 21st century, I have to warn you, Paul's teaching is minimally dangerous and probably something most of us do not want to hear because we would argue that what Paul is saying is contrary to freedom. You see, we define freedom in the West. I'll give you Oxford's definition of freedom. The power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. In other words, to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That's the definition in the Western world, and I think that matches well. But what we will see here is that a freedom that truly leads to living freely, not legalism, not licentiousness, is a freedom that enables a person to serve. In other words, Paul says, if you truly want to be free, then out of your love for God, serve others. Now immediately, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, how can freedom and service be the same? Well, here's the good news. Paul tells us in two verses in Galatians chapter five, and I'd like to examine those two verses. I wanna show you how to have true freedom in Christ by submitting yourself as a servant to one another. And I wanna do that with two points. Number one, the slavery of fleshly freedom, and number two, the freedom of gospel slavery. The slavery of fleshly freedom if you do what you want, when you want to do all the time, then you become a slave. And the freedom of gospel slavery, if you submit yourself as a slave of Christ, then indeed you will become free. The theme of the sermon is this. Your freedom in Christ is both evidenced and exercised in your serving one another. Your freedom in Christ is both revealed to yourself and the world and it's practiced in your serving one another, which means the reciprocal would be true. Your lack of freedom in Christ would be revealed by you not serving or loving one another. All right, point number one, are you with me? <laughs> he said, that was just your intro? <laughs> what are you doing here? Get to one of these points. All right, let's get to point number one, the slavery of fleshly freedom. So after Paul establishes that a person is saved by grace through faith alone. He, he clears the record for any, any necessity of a particular law like cir circumcision or dietary regulation. He reminds the Galatians of their calling and the fruit of their calling. Look at verse 13 again. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. And he uses that term of endearment to remind them who they are. 
that if they're in Christ, they've been saved by grace, they're in the family of God, they are free sons and daughters. Remember, God is free. So if you belong to God in Christ, then you are free too. And so he, he establishes the fact that they are free because they've been adopted into the family of God. And then he says, because you're free, you were called to what? To freedom, to live freely. He says, you're no longer under the yoke of slavery. You no longer have to have faith and some work to get you into my father's family. You're no longer enslaved. At this time, the, the Gentiles in the Galatian church, they were practicing primarily paganism and there was a lot of pressure in the community to get you to worship a local god, to, to worship the idol, to sacrifice, because if you did not, then those gods would not be happy and they would not bless us with things like, like rain and crops. And so Paul says, remember, you've been set free from legalism. You've been set free from paganism. You are a full son, a full daughter in the kingdom of God if you are in Christ. As free as you could possibly be. Look at verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so immediately after Paul establishes, if you're in the family of God, you're a free child of God, he says, but, but don't make this mistake. Simply because you've been set free from the power of the law doesn't mean that you can go live any way you want to live. There's a danger. There's always a danger when we're given certain types of freedoms. And the danger here, Paul says, is to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now that word flesh, it's used in lots of different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it's talking literally about the, your physical body, your fleshly body. Other times it's talking about you living out your life here in the flesh, in this world. Um, sometimes it's used as a comparison, the spirit and the flesh. But here in the context of Galatians 5, the flesh, that term it, it has an ethical undertone, a, a moral standing to it. In other words, the flesh here is referring to man's sinful, fallen nature. You could say the center of man's pride. That self-will, self-indulgence, self-assertion right that you think you have in your fleshly state. One commentator put it like this. He said to live according to the flesh, listen, this is good, is to trust in oneself. You already know we're in trouble, right? As soon as you say that, to trust in oneself, you know you're in trouble. To trust in oneself as being able to find life, not in God, but by the things of this world and through one's own strength and own accomplishment. Well, that's self-salvation. We don't need Christ and we don't need a cross if that's true. In other words, our freedom in Christ is, is not, as the Oxford Dictionary says, it's not to act and speak and think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. It's not the freedom of total self-assertion. Biblical freedom is the ability to live as you were created to live. Did you hear that? Biblical freedom is the ability to live as God created you to live. Now, that might be a strange definition. Maybe some of you said, I've never heard that definition before. You see, if, if God in the beginning created you in his image to worship him, to serve him, to love him with what? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If that's how he made you, but then sin entered, we know, in the garden through Adam and Eve, and, and sin came in and it permeated the human race and it infected the human heart, so the human heart 
does not desire to worship God. The human heart desires to worship the things of this world. We're drawn away from God. And so we worship animals and people and things and we worship careers. We worship our looks. We worship our bank accounts rather than worshiping the one who's not only worthy of all glory and honor and praise, the one true living God, but the one that we were made to worship. In other words, false worship, my beloved, idolatry is the opposite of freedom. If you worship someone or something that's not God, you are enslaved to that someone or something. You become a slave to it. And as sinners, apart from Christ, we can only worship the things of this world. As a sinner, apart from Christ, you do not want to worship God. And in so doing, you deny your created purpose. And in so doing, you enslave yourself. So I don't want to enslave myself. No one does. But if you're not worshiping God, you have enslaved yourself. Not only have you enslaved yourself, you've enslaved yourself to eternal death. It's not just now, it's forever. You see, all creatures, every single thing that God made, he made with a distinct purpose to bring himself honor and glory. Everything he made was made for his own glory. And everything made with particular aspects of how that glory is to be given. And man's no exception. If, for example, let's say you, you decided to go and spend some time at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, and, and you're walking through the, the uh, displays, and you come to the penguin exhibit, and, and you love penguins, I love penguins, and you see the penguins there, and, and they seem to be having fun, they're, they're swimming, and they're, they're eating, and they're playing, but you notice that this is a very small little area, and they seem cramped, and it's awfully cold in there, and so you think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to take one of these penguins and I'm going to make that penguin free. And so you take one of those beautiful little penguins and you stuff that penguin in your backpack. Assuming you don't get arrested, but you do that. Put it in your backpack, you throw it on your back and you run and you put the penguin in your car and you drive to, to your home and your home has a big backyard and this is the middle of the summer and you set that penguin out in the backyard and you say, penguin, you go, you be free. And that penguin runs around your backyard and he seems really happy for the first day or so. And then day two, three, four come along and that penguin's not looking so good. And day five comes along and the penguin's looking really sick and the penguin's about to die. And you're thinking, I don't understand. I set that penguin free from that horribly confined, very cold place and now he has this big backyard to play in and he doesn't look good. Well, you know why he doesn't look good. You, you didn't set him free. You took him out of the very environment that he was designed to live in. And in so doing, you set that penguin on a course for death. My beloved, it's the same for us. We, we are told that absolute freedom in the West makes us authentically happy. We're told if we can break all shackles and all constraints, then you can be the person that you're supposed to be and experience the greatest freedom. And yet it's the exact opposite. It's just like that poor penguin. We've been told for decades now that if you, if you practice absolute freedom, you will be free. We have not been told to know our creator. I mean, if you are made, then it makes sense that we should know the one that made us. We have not been told to know the purpose given to us by our creator. We've been not told, we have not been told to live in accordance with the teachings and laws of our creator. We've been told the exact opposite. We've been told what? Be true to, say it, be true to yourself. Oh, that's a mantra I've been hearing for decades now. We've been told that if you want to be free, 
then you must do what you feel is right. And that any boundaries of any kind, anything that limits your ability to absolute self-assertion is slavery. At least that's what we're told. And we've been teaching this so long that, that an entire generation now has been taught from a very young age not to esteem God, but to esteem themselves. An entire generation has been told not to listen to their parents or their teachers or their pastors, but to listen to what? That inner voice. That inner voice. Not to pursue objective truth, but pursue the truth that is real to you. I want you to think about just some of the the historical movements and what's come out of that. All in the name of freedom. We have turned women from life givers to murderers by telling them they have a God-given constitutional right to kill their unborn children, all in the name of what? Personal freedom, my body, my choice. 60 million murder babies to date. We've turned boys and girls into science experiments by pumping them full of hormones and surgically mutilating their physical anatomies all in the name of gender freedom. My beloved, we've turned people, complex image bearers of God, into two-dimensional cartoon characters by redefining our identities. No longer do we share in the common experience as human beings made in the image of God. Now, in the name of political freedom, what? We're all known by our identity politics. Gender, sexual orientation, economic standing, upbringing, privilege, underprivileged, all these labels we adorn and then we use them to determine who we associate with, who we love, who we hate, all in the name of what? Of freedom. That's no freedom at all. And that's certainly not the freedom the scriptures teach. Absolute freedom, acting, speaking, and thinking as you want without hindrance or restraint. It is not freedom, it is slavery. It is slavery. When we live our lives not as God created us to live, to worship and love him and serve and love one another, we have enslaved ourselves. The inward turn, self-serving, self-centered lives becomes our reality. Always seeking, always consuming, always wanting, but what? You're never satisfied. I'm like, how can you be free if you're never satisfied? How can you be free if you're always longing for something? There's no freedom in that. That is, I would say, in many ways, the very definition of slavery. I had a student years ago when I was teaching at De Anza Community College, and he, he used to harass me a lot about my faith in God. He was a professing atheist, sweet young man, loved him to pieces. But he would, he would tease me about church and Bible and trying to live according to the teachings of Christ. He thought it was very humorous. I remember in one of our conversations, and I had many, I asked him, I said, what's, what's your great aversion to Christianity or even the belief in God? And he said, without hesitation, freedom. Freedom. He was very articulate. Listen to what he said. Religion, he said, is slavery. Man-made rules and regulations for the sake of social conformity. I thought, wow, that's impressive. Religion is slavery. Man-made rules and regulations for the sake of social conformity. And so I asked him, I said, are, are you free? And 
And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, are, are you free from all constraints and all restrictions to do whatever it is that you want to do? And he said, yes, I am free. And I said, do you watch porn? And he shook his head. He said, what? I said, do you watch pornography? Most of my students back then did. He said, yes. What does that have to do with this? I said, how often do you watch it? He said, regularly. I said, how regularly? He said, almost every day. I said, all right, here's a challenge for you. I would like you for the next 30 days, for one month straight, I want you to not watch a single second of pornography. He agreed to the challenge. I was thankful for that. One week later, I asked him, are you porn free? And he sheepishly said, no, Mr. Booth, I'm not. I guess I'm not as free as I thought. I said, no, you're not free at all. You're not free at all. You're enslaved to your idol. Absolute freedom. His self-assertion without constraint had made him a slave even though he thought he was free. You see, my beloved, freedom is not the absence of constraints, doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Freedom, I love, Tim Keller put it like this, freedom is finding the right constraints. It's finding the right borders, those constraints that fit our nature and truly liberate us. Those constraints that equip us and enable us to live as the free people of God that we are in Christ. So the first thing I want us to see, and I know that was a little long, but it's, we're dealing with Americans who think wrongly about freedom. Absolute freedom leads to slavery. As an image bearer of God, you were created to worship and serve God, and in your love for God, serve one another. You need a God-given constraint. Now what might surprise many of you is what that God-given constraint is according to Apostle Paul here in Galatians chapter 5. What is the alternative to using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? It is serving one another. Point number two, the freedom of gospel slavery. I, I, don't, I can ask the rhetorical question, does anybody here want to be enslaved? No one would raise your hand. She said, of course not. Right? We were made to be free in Christ. Point number two, the freedom of gospel slavery. Look at verse 13. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so Paul's warning not to use our freedom to indulge the flesh, not to be self-indulgement. It's bracketed on two sides. The first side, he says, live as the free people you are in Christ. And on the other end, he says, love one another by serving one another. And you say, well, wait a minute here. That's, that seems odd. He's connecting freedom and service. He's actually putting them together. And he's saying, if you, if you want to enjoy freedom, then you must serve. Now, again, I don't know about you, but that's foreign to my Western ear. My Western ear hears that, and, and I think, no. And all the movies that I've watched, all the books, all the music I've listened to, freedom is not serving. Freedom is being served. Right? At least that's, that's how I was raised. You know, it, it's, the, it's the picture of the multimillionaire sitting on the beach and all these servants coming up and serving him and taking care of all of his needs. I think, well, that's freedom. It's not the one serving. Freedom in the West, it's the opposite of work. It's the opposite of, of service. Freedom in the West, it's, today it's leisure. It's entertainment. It's, it's lots of money. It's, it's getting, not giving. Now Paul's countercultural teaching on freedom 
for the Western ear and maybe for your ear, it may sound confusing. It may even sound repulsive. We generally do not accept this truth. Even in the Western church, that the path of freedom is through service. The path of true freedom is serving one another. But this is an even more difficult teaching than at first glance from this text. The word that Paul uses to serve, it comes from a Greek noun which means slave. Look at verse 13 again. You could read it like this. You were called to freedom, brothers, so through love... You're called to freedom, so through love, make yourself slaves to one another. You say, Paul was out of his mind. How can he say that we're free, and so in our freedom, make ourselves slaves? And he says that because the Christian who's been set free by the gospel of grace, set free from the power of sin and the power of law, is able not to self-indulge. It's able not to live only for yourself. That's all you do in the flesh. That's all you do apart from Christ is live for yourself. Even when you think you're not, you're still living for yourself. In Christ, we are able to actually truly serve because we truly love. And Paul says when you do that, when you serve one another out of your love for Christ and out of your love for others, you will experience true freedom. It's given to you by Christ freely by grace, but it's experienced in your serving. Paul's saying that serving others in love, it's, the, it's not the opposite of freedom. He's saying serving one another in love, it is freedom in action. It's not the opposite. It's the actual doing of it. And if this is true, my beloved, then if freedom is truly found in our serving one another, then it probably explains why Christians in the Western church, and, and I would argue even here at Christ Community Church, that we still, so many of us still live as slaves to our fleshly desires. I think that if, if freedom is, the express, is expressed through service, then one of the reasons the church today is still so bound is because we still don't serve. We don't know the freedom that Paul is talking about here. How many Western Christians right now, this morning, sitting in churches just like this, have been set free from the consequences of the law, the curse of the law, from the power of sin and death, and yet continue to believe they have the absolute freedom to do whatever they want because they're Americans? You see, American freedom and biblical freedom, they don't go together. And yet, churches today in this country are filled with people who still think as the culture thinks, that true freedom is no constraints of any kind. And therefore, we remain enslaved to our own selfish desires. I guess the question, if, if we've been trained to think like this, and, and most of us have, is how do we get out of this devilish mess? And it is a devilish mess. When we think freedom, the first thing is no constraints. The Christian who thinks freedom Paul's saying you should be thinking about service. You should be thinking about slavery to one another. How do we live as free people, made free by God, called to be free by God, and not succumb to the deadly freedom of self-indulgence? So I was very convicted by this passage this week. I thought, wow, how much do I do out of love to serve others? And how much is done out of convenience? And how much of my service is done because I think I have to, but I really don't want to? 
That's not the type of service that Paul's talking about here. If we want to understand this, we have to understand two very basic things. Number one, this, this type of service is love-born, right? If you, if you want to experience freedom by serving, then you must first know the love that God has for you in Christ. You've got to know that. And then the second thing that we've got to look at is the actual serving. How does it set us free? What, what does that look like? Let's, let's deal with the motivation really quickly first. In order to experience the freedom that Christ offers you must first know the love that God offers to you in Christ. You must not just, not just know it, not just know it theologically. Yes, I'm loved because Christ came and saved me. I mean, know it in a transformative sense that when you contemplate the love that God has for you in Christ, it causes your entire being to go amazing, overwhelming that you, God, would love a sinner like me. John 3.16, most of you know this. If you've ever been to a sporting event, you've seen it. For God so loved the world, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus is talking about himself, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's greatest display of love for mankind was sending his son to pay for our sins. The greatest display of God's love for sinners like us was to send Christ, to ascend the cross, to become a slave to our sin and our debt and pay for our sins in full so that what? So that through faith, faith in the Savior, not faith plus works, but faith alone in Christ, you can be set free from the power of sin and death. This is the great love the Father has for us. That through faith you have access. Where? Into the family of God to become a son or daughter of God, to be a free son or daughter in the free kingdom of our Lord. In other words, the greatest expression of love was God sending his own son who was, who was free to leave us in our slavery and debt. You know that. Christ was fully free to leave us dead in our sins, all to be judged, all to perish. But in his freedom, he voluntarily, according to Paul and Philippians, became what? He became a slave. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, voluntarily became a slave. This is what Paul writes, Philippians 2, 7, that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, of a slave. Being born in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why we talk about the cross so much as Christians. That's why we talk about his death because this love that must capture your heart if you want to be free and be able to serve one another in love, if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, this type of love must capture you or there's no hope, my beloved. You may go out and say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to try to serve. Do it for a week or two weeks. You're done. You'll never do it in the flesh. The flesh serves self, not one another. Your heart's desire must be captured by God's love for you as perfectly displayed on the cross. God's own son, the gaping flesh wounds on his back as a result of the beatings before he was crucified, the flesh-piercing thorns that punctured his beautiful, sinless head, flesh-tearing nails that pierced his hands and feet. Why? So that your fleshly desires, so that my fleshly desires 
would not lead to slavery but to freedom. So that our fleshly desires would not end in damnation but eternal life. This love, my friends, it has, it has the power to transform the most self-centered, self-asserting heart. Even yours, even mine. It has this power. It has the power to give us a love so profound between God and us that out of that love we will, we will not only want to, we will serve. We will serve one another in love. And this is where freedom is truly found, my beloved. So you must have, you must know, you must experience the love that God has for you in Christ. You must possess it. But I would argue, merely possessing that love is not sufficient. You must then practice it. You must exercise it. You must go out and use it to pour out love on other people. So the second thing is the exercising of this freedom to love others how? Well, as you yourself would want to be loved. Look at the latter part of verse 13 again. Paul says, through love, serve one another. Don't indulge the flesh. Don't use your freedom for fleshly desires. Through love, serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you know, my beloved, that the New Testament contains 59 distinct one another commands? See, I don't even know what a one other command is. A one other command, also called mutuality commands, are commands given by God to his people on how we are to love, care for, meet the needs of one another. Fifty-nine. You say, I don't know that I know five. And you said there are fifty-nine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a smattering. And as, as you listen, I want you to do this. I want you to say, all right, Lord. Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ like this? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ if I'm a member here at Christ Community Church like this? We are called, we are, better put, we're commanded by God in Christ to be devoted to one another. We're commanded to honor and respect one another. According to the New Testament, we're called to live in harmony. We're called to build each other up in our faith. We're called to be like-minded. We're called to accept one another. We're called to care for one another, to meet the needs of one another. The Bible says that we're, we're called and commanded to bear one another's burdens and to forgive one another. That's a hard one. We're commanded to be patient with one another and to speak the truth to one another, even when people don't want to hear it. We're commanded to be kind and compassionate with one another, to submit to one another. How well do you do that, my beloved? How well do you submit to one another? We're called to teach one another, to comfort, to encourage, to exhort, and to stir one another up toward love and good deeds. We're called to have hospitality toward one another. We're called to use our gifts and talents to grow the body of Christ to pray, to confess our sins. We're not supposed to lie to one another. We're not supposed to pass judgment on one another. We're not supposed to slander or grumble against one another. That's just a few of the one another commands that Jesus expects his believers to do in loving one another because that's how Christ loves us. Now, if your first thought is, I can't even remember these. 
And if I can't remember them, how am I going to do them? I mean, you just gave us a few, and you said there are 59, and that's overwhelming. And it is overwhelming. I want want you to relax. I want to encourage you here. Paul, he quotes Jesus, who was quoting Moses, who was quoting Jesus. Look at verse 14. He gave us a cheat sheet. Did you notice that? We got a cheat sheet here. I, I love cheat sheets. Verse 14. He says, the whole law, including all 59 one another commands that bring freedom. The whole law, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, oh, that, now that's easy. Right? At its most basic level, we know this teaching means you know how you want to be loved. You know how you want to be cared for and served. So Jesus says, I'm going to take all the 59 one another imperatives and I'm going to squeeze it down to this single imperative to love your neighbor, to love one another as you love yourself. And in the context of this verse, it means serving. It means serve others as you would want to be served. Now, y'all, now you're suddenly smiling. Going, yeah, how can I be served? That's probably not the right response. If the Bible says you're to honor one another, then you will treat others as you would like to be honored and respected. That's simple, right? If the Bible says to be patient with one another, then then you'll want to show the same patience to others that you would hope they show to you. In other words, out of the storehouse of love that God has poured into your heart in Christ, you're to lift your head up, you're to look out at your brothers and sisters, and you are to love them as Christ loves you. As you want to be loved, you're to look for needs and meet the needs because if you're in need, you want to have them met. You're to serve in such a way that if you were walking in your brother's and sister's shoes, you'd be pleased and actually happy if they served you. There's a great story about a man named Dawson Trotman. I don't know if you know that name. You probably know the name Bill Bright attached to the Navigators. The Navigators are very, very well-known uh, globally uh, discipleship ministry. They've been, in, they've been going now for over 90 years. Dawson Trotman was the, was the founder of the Navigators, and he was visiting, this is decades ago, he was visiting a, a pastor in, in Taiwan, and um, during this trip, he wanted to go visit a group of Christians that were up in the mountains, and so he and this particular pastor, they, they hiked up this mountain path, and they were, they were making their way up, and it was muddy, and it was raining, and they're just, they're covered, they're soaking wet, and they're, they're covered in mud. Later, someone asked this Taiwanese pastor what he remembered most about Dawson Trotman, and without hesitation, the man replied, he cleaned my shoes. He cleaned my shoes. First thing that came to mind was how this man served him by cleaning the mud off his shoes. You see, everyone knew Mr. Trotman as a servant of the saints. He was a servant of the people of God. In 1956, he was at a a Christian camp with some friends, and he was in a boat with several Christians, and I guess they hit a particular wave, and and he and um, a Christian woman, they were thrown out of the boat. And this woman did not know how to swim. And so Dawson held her up until the boat could come back. But in so doing, he drowned. Saved her, but gave his own life. Billy Graham, who was a good friend of 
of Dawson said at his funeral, listen, Dawes died the same way he lived, holding others up. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I would say that he died as a free man in Christ. He died as a free man serving others literally to his last breath. You say, well, how, how was he able to do this? How was anybody able to love and serve like this? My beloved, unlike the golden rule, which is taught in many religions, Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor as yourself, it's taught through the lens of the gospel. It's taught through the gospel. We of all people who are saved by grace know what it's like to be enslaved to sin. We know how hard life is. If you're on this side of the cross and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know how hard life is. Before God saved us, we were pitiful, we were mean, we were hell-bound creatures, but then Christ came and what did he do? He put his love on us. He put his love on us freely. And so our identities are completely changed. We now stand in Christ as free sons and daughters loved infinitely by God through the Savior. You're not the same person you were before Christ if you're in Christ now. Your identity is in his love, which means, my friends, you, you can serve, you can sacrifice, you can even give your life like Dawson Trotman did, serving as you'd want to be served precisely because, listen with all your mind, you've been delivered from yourself. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You've been delivered from yourself. You're no longer the same self-consumed, gotta have it right now, self-asserting consumer that you were before Jesus Christ. You've died to yourself. In Christ, your joy and your satisfaction is complete. Eternal life is yours. Your destiny is secure, which enables us. If we're truly satisfied in Christ, if he is sufficient in your life, it enables you to serve it enables you to serve in a supernatural way. Not to put God in your debt so he can let you into heaven. It enables you to serve not to use other people so they can think you're such a great servant of Christ. It enables you to serve purely and solely, listen, out of love. If you are in Christ, you've been set free. You're satisfied in Christ. And therefore you can serve one another as Christ serves you. You can serve because you love. You love God and you love those who belong to God. Serve your brothers and sisters like this, my beloved. Seek to know and obey the one other commands. Seek to use your gifts and talents to bless and serve the body of Christ. You do this in love and, and I will argue you will know of freedom that this self-serving, self-asserting, self-centered world can never give you. You'll know of true freedom that is bound in the love of Christ. You were made to love and worship God by loving and serving others. That's your purpose. You were created to glorify and enjoy God and in so doing, serving one another. Why live contrary to your purpose? Why enslave yourself to an idol? Why destroy yourself even unto eternal death? If you want to be free, then be constrained by your created purpose. Stop serving only yourself and out of your love for God, 
serve one another. In Mark 10.45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ knew the secret of freedom, the giving of oneself for others. My question for you is, do you? Do you know the secret to freedom? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would replace the biblical teaching on freedom with our distorted and I would say evil understanding of it. Show us, Lord, that true freedom is found in our relationship with you in the love that you've poured out on us in Christ and in our taking that love and practically serving one another. I pray you would do that, Father, for all my brothers and sisters here, members of this church and and visitors alike, that you would so captivate our hearts that it'd be impossible for us not to serve as Christ serves. Uh, Give us that love, Father, that compels us to this end, and then give us the hands and the feet to love as our, our brother Dawson Trotman did so beautifully, even to our last breath, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.